You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. As always, I'm here with Matt Hartwell. Matt, what's up, man? I'm feeling good, but a victory Tuesday or whatever day we're in right now. I had a a great trip coming back from the beautiful city of Ann Arbor, and it was a, a great, great experience this past weekend. How about you, my friend? Man, we had fun. We 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 uh, brought Hudson, our eight month old baby, to the game, and everybody was like just dumbfounded by the fact that we had a baby because you know it was a night game, cold game rivalry uh halloween weekend it was like not the ideal baby game but uh she was a trooper and got us the win she's eight no hudson's undefeated so i'm i'm personally taking credit for michigan's undefeated season thus far because my <laughs> child has has never seen a loss so it, it was a lot of fun but um i feel the same way man i'm i'm a little drained uh you know normally we record this pod on Sunday mornings right after the games, but because you and I both traveled a little bit this week and, and we hit the Michigan State game, uh, we're doing this on Tuesday morning. So for anybody that's listening, that's why it's, it's getting out a little later than normal. Um, man, do we have a lot to talk about? Uh, you know, I, it, it got interesting after the game. Um, let's go ahead and just rip the Band-Aid off. Let's... Before we get into the the positional breakdown of the game and everything that happened, let's talk about this tunnel incident. So I, I don't think I don't think I need to tee it up with a lot of details because I think anybody that's listening to this podcast probably already knows what happened. But Jaden McBurrows and Jamon Green, two Michigan players, uh, for whatever reason, right? We're in the tunnel a little early, maybe wrong place, wrong time. They, maybe they were talking some shit. Maybe they weren't. We don't really know. Um, but they got viciously attacked by uh, Michigan State Spartan players in the tunnel after the game. It was unlike anything that I've ever seen on film in a post game. And uh, things got massively out of hand. And there's been a uh, heavy wave of media reaction. and. Uh, let me let me pass it over to you just to get your initial reaction on the incident. And, and you know, it's a lot to process. I think we're all feeling a lot of things right now. So what's going on with you? Well, I mean, for me, Mike, it was just disgusting behavior to observe. I mean, uh, much like myself, you were at the game. I'm sure you didn't get to observe the antics of what had happened until much later on in the evening. Uh, I didn't have service. I think my phone was dead. I wasn't able to actually like get on social media or see what had transpired for a little while. But to me, I mean, there just doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of justification on the East Lansing end of this to where, I mean, they were just violently just assaulting McBurrows. I mean, in the tunnel first and foremost, and then you have Jamon Green getting his head bashed in by his own helmet uh, from what we can only assume. And just to your point, Mike, I was actually uh, scrolling social media before we jumped on here today. And according to the Detroit News, Jamon Green uh, weekly 
uh, rushes through the tunnel at the end of the game to see his dad, who is a trucker, and uh, drives from Texas with limited time on his day off to be able to see Jamon. So really just even furthering the fact that this was just atrocious behavior on their end. And I can't even begin to wrap my mind around what uh, what kickstarted the whole thing. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> I mean, here, here's my take. This might be a little bit of an unpopular opinion with some of the Michigan fan base, but I think it's really important to point out that this was a few Michigan State players that did something really terrible. And let me lead by saying, as, as somebody that's made some terrible decisions myself in my life and I've had to suffer the consequences, I feel for those guys because what they created for themselves was a long road of having to rebuild, you know, potentially their college career if there's criminal charges, potentially, uh, you know, their life. But with that being said, they were adults. They made a terrible decision. They attacked, you know, some other men and, and they're going to suffer the consequences. Now, as a fan base, um, as fan base is Michigan State and Michigan, <clears throat> we've let this thing get out of control, right? It reminds me very much of the political scene where there's extremism on each side. And um, I would urge everybody to take a step back and just remember, you know, this is coming from a guy that I was raised to say, I hate Ohio State. I hate Michigan State. I've always said those words, but now I'm rethinking that verbiage because, you know, we're setting an example to the society and to our kids. And, and, and when it comes down to it, I want to beat the hell out of them on the football field and wave bye to them on the football field and disrespect them on the football field. Um, but then when the game's over, I, you know, I don't wish injury on anybody. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I want these guys to go on and have professional football careers or professional non-football careers. And, and then we can, you know, if we see each other in the office, we can jaw at each other and have a little fun. And, you know, so there's a lot of really respectable Michigan State fans, Michigan State players and Michigan State coaches that went about their business the right way. And then there's a few of them that didn't. And the, and the, the guys that didn't, they're going to suffer the consequences. And next year, I want to beat the hell out of Michigan State just as bad as I did this year. But I don't want to fight any of their fans, right? I don't want to insult their children. I don't want people getting hurt, you know? And, and so I think we can all just take a step back and take a breath and move on. We're 8-0. We beat them. That's all that matters. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, buddy. And I mean, to... The, the half the fun of the rivalry is just having fun with the rivalry. You know what I mean? And that doesn't include uh, physical altercations or, or anything by that extent. I mean, the jawing and all that is fun. Uh, but we have to remember that at the end of the day, these, these are uh, a college students that are, are just trying to do the best they can to play in the game that they love. And uh, we got to try to keep this under control. Above all else, I mean, really all I want to see is is uh is action that um can be justified you know what i mean i want to see something that is going to stop this from happening in the future yeah and and even though i feel for those guys i still you know i'm a michigan fan at my core and they they attacked my guys you know what i mean like they don't get to play next week 
or they don't get to play probably for the rest of the season. The guys that really instigated, if you're swinging a helmet at another man, like you got to suffer the consequences. I'm sorry that it, that just is what it is. But then we can stop there, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not getting on Twitter and 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 you know trying to fight with people and all. It's like, I mean, come on. I'm I'm thinking about uh, Greg Schiano and Rutgers at this point, right? Like we got better, we got better things to think about. It's kind of like Harbaugh after the Penn State uh, PB and J incident. He was like, we got bigger fish to fry, right? And so, um, you know, it's not the tunnel. We've had the tunnel for a hundred years. It's it's just some stuff reached a boiling point. It got really unhealthy, and we need to all take a step back as teams, as coaches, as players, as fan bases, and just remember what this is. It's a game that we play for fun. It's a rivalry that we enjoy, and then let's just move on. All right, let's get to the uh, actual fun stuff because I was a little irritated that, that this is what everybody was talking about. What we really should be talking about was what a dominant performance Michigan had. Um, before we get into the X's and O's, uh, it was a massive recruiting weekend for Michigan. I don't know, did, did you see any of the lists of five, four, and three-star players that were at the game? I mean, it was a long list of recruits. I did, I did, and uh, we saw future QB one in attendance, right? <laughs> and uh, that that yeah, we also had some great offensive line prospects in attendance as well, which I mean, it was is just great to see because Michigan, if they can keep up this domination that they've been having on the offensive line side of the ball, then uh, the possibilities are really just endless for for this uh, team. Yeah, and when you reference our future QB1, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Jaden Davis, right? Absolutely. Who is, he was in attendance, um, possibly the best quarterback in the country coming out in the 2024 class. Definitely top two or three. I think he's kind of a consensus top two or three guy. Um, <clears throat> and he actually got some crystal balls uh, from 247 and you know rivals predictions right after the game, which if I'm being honest, it kind of surprised me because it was a game where another Michigan game where we patiently controlled the line of scrimmage. JJ looking a little bit like a game manager, which is is not what all Michigan fans want to see JJ look like. And, um, you know, sure enough, J- Jaden Davis got some some crystal ball predictions after the game to, to come to Michigan. So it was a little surprising, but a lot of people think he made a, a – a private commitment after the barbecue at the big house. And so I don't know, man, what do you think? Uh, is Jaden Davis, uh, I, I hate to use these words, but is he, is he a lock? Is he coming to Michigan? I certainly wouldn't say he's a lock. I really would never say anybody's uh, a lock at Michigan just because of the heartbreak we've experienced in the past with some recruits. Um, but I would say it's probably, it's definitely looking like a heavy lean from Jaden Davis. And I would be ecstatic to have him here. I think that uh, that his timing coming with with JJ uh, probably uh, probably seeing his peak next year is going to just come at a perfect time for this team, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm excited. So moving on to the actual game, uh, Michigan really controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, uh, but we struggled in the red zone again on offense. Right, like we get inside about the 35 yard line. And it it feels like a combination of play calling and execution 
keeps us from getting in the end zone. And it, you know, it was a little bit disappointing because I, you know, we were at the big house and you could feel it. That place was ready to explode. All we needed was like, give us a 30 yard pass, like crossing route, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius touchdown. Like that, the, the roof was ready to blow off that place because actually the student section was, was hyped. The, the fans were hyped, but it was a nine out of 10, the whole game. And we never got that 10 out of 10 because we didn't get an exciting touchdown. Um, do you think it's play calling? Like what, what is, what is keeping this team out of the end zone? We, we move the ball at ease and then, uh, you know, three points from Moody basically every time. Yeah, I know it was really a head scratcher and kudos to your comments about the fans too. I mean, they were just in it the whole game. It really, for all intents and purposes, wasn't an overly exciting football game. You know what I mean? But I mean, we got the job done, uh, whether it be by a million field goals by Jake Moody or uh, touchdowns by Blake Corum. You know, this is a team that gets the job done no matter how they have to get the job done. And uh, Jim Harbaugh feels I I truly believe that Jim Harbaugh feels comfortable when he's trotting Jake Moody out there to kick five field goals in the game that we're going to be able to win with that score on the board. So I'm starting to have a little, I know it's not the most exciting brand of football, but, uh, but this team has been putting points on the board when it matters. And uh, I see that from a fan perspective. But I think we all know that we got to figure that out and we got to figure that out fast. Like, can we beat Rutgers with field goals? Maybe. Can we beat Ohio state with field goals? Probably not. not. Right. And, and, and actually Illinois, we might not be able to beat Illinois with field goals too. It's they're starting to look like, uh, they might be a a quality opponent as well. So, you know, uh, I saw some comments that JJ looked like a game manager. I I wouldn't go that far, you know, game manager has such a negative connotation. Um, but we did, you know, we, we saw a heavy dose of quorum, which is what we're kind of growing accustomed to. And it, it's always nice when you have a Heisman candidate that gets fed the ball, right? Like if, if JJ was our current Heisman front runner, I'd be like, throw it every, you know, every possession. Cause I'll, you know, it's always fun to pull for a Heisman candidate, but more important, more importantly than that, you just want to win the game. And I think, I think Harbaugh knows and the, and the coaching staff knows that quorum between the tackles is what gives us the best chance to win the game right now. And I really liked um, the utilization of of JJ's legs in this game. I think that up to this point, they've been really conservative with it. Probably part of that uh, extra juice in the tank that everyone talks about that they're holding back a little bit of. But uh, I thought we saw a lot of JJ's legs. He ran ran for about 50 yards, and that was a big part of what they did um, this past weekend was exposing another level of this run game that we haven't seen a whole lot of, if I'm being honest, so far this season. And it seemed like they were a little bit caught off guard by it. They didn't know what to do with JJ when he was taken off for 10, 20 yards on some, some plays. Well, and that's the X factor, right? It really is that, you know, props to Michigan state. They've got a really gritty uh, front seven. Uh, I mean, they got tore up, but they, but they're really gritty, right? I, I, I think it would be, um, a lot to say that, that it was an easy win, right? Like there was nothing easy about it. Um, and then in the secondary, they were playing our receivers really tough. 
But but what you just referenced is the X factor, right? Everybody covered downfield, not a lot going on between the tackles. JJ goes for 15 or 20 um, along the sideline, keeps the drive alive, right? Like that that is a killer for a defense, and it's the reason why Michigan State couldn't get the ball back and they couldn't get scores on the board. So that was fun to see. Um, you know, really diving into the running backs now, this was very close to another like 400 yard rushing game because I, I don't know if you noticed, uh, there was one or two where Corum was like half a step they from taking it to the on freaking his, like, house. Shoelace on one of them. Ugh. And then, and then Donovan had one where he was, he kind of stumbled through and like it, it kind of felt like he could have been gone in that too. So even though we dominated, uh, rushing the ball, it could have been way worse. And and to me, I don't get upset by that. I, I'm actually inspired by that. I'm like, okay, you know, a bunch of field goals on the board, Corum and Edwards, like shoestring tackles to save touchdowns. And we still won the game 29 to seven. Like to me, that makes me feel like, uh, we can dominate anybody in the country because we've done that now to Penn State. We've done that to, uh, you know, a, a struggling Michigan State team. But, you know, this was their Super Bowl. They get up for Michigan. So um, we're looking good, man, heading, heading into the, the final uh, legs of the, the, the season here. Anything else on the running backs before we get to the, the pass catchers? I don't think so. I mean, it's just kind of becoming a thing every week, right? Uh, Blake Corum rushes for two touchdowns over 100 yards. I mean, there's not too much to be said about it, but it's a beautiful thing to see. So, Do you have Corum number one in your Heisman kind of rankings? I don't know if you think about that. I'm always kind of thinking about it. Is Corum on on top? He is. And of course, I have a little bit of bias to it just because the Heisman is a little bit more personable per team. You know what I mean? There's a certain level of value that each person or player has to present to their team. So for me, being a Michigan fan, I see the value that Corum brings to Michigan and I'm like, obvious Heisman. But uh, I don't know. Another team might have a different perspective on that. Well, so I know you're getting tired of me talking about Tennessee on this damn podcast, but you know, when I try to look at this from an unbiased perspective, I think right now, Hendon Hooker is probably number one, and then Corum is number two. Um, and that's coming from a guy that I, I honestly get tired of the Heisman conversation being, oh, you got to be a quarterback on one of the top three or four teams in the country, right? Like they shouldn't even call it the Heisman. It should just be like best quarterback in the top four, right? right? Cause that's like all, it's like all it is every year. But um, even, even from a guy that is sick of that, I still feel like Hendon Hooker is probably number one. Blake Corum is probably number two. And that's the way I want it, right? I want, I want Peyton Manning just ahead of Charles Woodson. And then I just want to take it right at the end. Um, again, that would just be uh, beautiful to see. I could see that. I do. Uh, I do see your point with Hendon Hooker, though. That's a good, uh, good first place vote. I, I would say it's a close match between him and Blake Corum. And then, of course, you got to let C.J. Stroud in there until that matchup is decided later on in the season. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would probably be number three for me is Stroud, but. All right. Well, you you heard it here first on the Big House Bleachers podcast. Matt Hartwell likes Tennessee. Just a smidge. <laughs> just a smidge. I'll give it to you this time. No, no, I know no, you don't. Um, okay. Wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, this is 
really a, a two-man show. And I, I think that we we saw it more in this game than we've seen it. Everybody's thinking like, oh, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, A.J. Henning, Andrew Anthony, like, let's do it. We got playmakers. And then what do we see every week? Ronnie Bell, Luke Schoonmaker, right? <laughs> Ronnie Bell on first and second, Luke Schoonmaker on third. And, and it's starting to feel like those are just our go-to guys, and that's kind of the way the season is going to be. So I'm hoping we can spread it out a little bit more uh, against these, you know, final four regular season opponents. But um, I don't hate it. You know, Ronnie Bell's amazing. Luke Schoonmaker is turning out to be everything we thought Eric All was going to be. So realistically, you know, they look good. What do you think? And uh, and also, I mean, Ronnie Bell is just he's just great, at least like once or twice a game for just an outstanding catch and run. I love it. I mean, I wait for it every single game. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a huge part of what Michigan does, but it's it's more like how uh, how the old saying goes. You you uh, you run to open up the pass game. Michigan kind of sometimes just passes to open up the run game a little bit, it seems like. But uh, I, I love the two-man show of, of Ronnie Bell and then Luke Schoonmaker reeling in reliable catches all game. Uh, very boring to see and observe, but still those two guys proving to be very reliable. I think that they'll be great on, uh, on Sundays in the NFL as well. I still think we're going to see just a crazy passing performance at some point in the season. It, w- it was Michigan State for Cade last year. Obviously, it wasn't Michigan State for us this year, but I think we're going to have like 400 receiving yards in one of these games coming up. I don't know if it's going to be Rutgers or Nebraska, but it just feels like we're built to explode. Like if if somebody can actually challenge us up front and slow down Corum, it feels like we can just say, okay, and and just toss it downfield. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But right now it's a two-man show, Ronnie Bell and Luke Schoonmaker. Uh, coming up strong, and then of course the the ultimate strength of our offense is our O line. Another amazing uh, O line per- performance for, uh, against a gritty front seven for Michigan State. Uh, th- this is it's it's almost a broken record at this point. I don't know what else we can say about the O line. They're they've got to be the best in the country. What do you think? I would definitely say so, and I don't even think that they had their best game this past Saturday against Michigan state. And I still think that they handled the business. They allowed the ball to be ran effectively and uh, they didn't allow them to get to JJ too much. So, I mean, they still a great job for them, not their best game from just what I observed from the stands, but still excellent, excellent outing from them. Well, and I actually think that the, uh, the Spartan D line is pretty good. And I, and I don't know, maybe I'm sounding foolish because I don't know the numbers. Maybe they've get given up a lot this season, but I just remember watching that Washington game when things were getting out of hand. It was like the first game Michigan State was just getting whooped. But that D-line, they had, they had like two or three goal line stops in that game. They were just kind of magnificent. And I remember thinking like, oh man, those, those dudes are pretty tough down there. And, and we saw a little bit of that in this game as well. Corum wasn't getting seven yards before contact, right? He was getting hit at the line of scrimmage a little bit more than usual. Now, now Corum being Corum, uh, it would, he would spin, juke, push, stiff arm. You know, he would, get, he would still get those yards. But yeah, the O-line, uh, they were definitely challenged this game, but, but still, they came up big. And, and, and so 
Speaking of controlling the line of scrimmage um, and the run game, how about our our uh, D line? My God, we 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 did it again. You know the the numbers in the Penn State game didn't reflect how dominant of a performance we had. Uh, because that mostly because of their quarterback getting a long run that kind of padded the stats, but we kept their running backs under fifty yards at Penn State, and then. We kept the running backs at Michigan State under 50 yards. I think they had 30-something yards of rushing the whole game. What do you think about those guys? I thought just an excellent job. And really, um, I'd hate to get ahead of ourselves here in our positional breakdown, but just starting with the defensive line down to the defense as a whole was just incredible yeah. in this game. And on nights like these where our offense is kind of like sluggish and underperforming and Jake Moody is kicking a million field goals, this defense locks down. And uh, and we overlook that sometimes a little bit. I mean, how many receiving yards did, uh, did Reed have? I mean, I think uh, DJ Turner was in coverage on him. But and again, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but starting at the D-line all the way down, just a phenomenal effort uh, by the defense. Yeah, I mean, we could talk defense as a whole. That's fine with me because really the the secondary stuck out to me as well. Keon Coleman and, and Jaden Reed got some some passes downfield early in the game especially, and it kind of looked like, ah, shit, you know, are they going to are they gonna get these kind of lucky grabs, you know, go up high and grab them all game? But no, the defense locked, locked them down. To, to me, the most impressive, uh, piece of this defensive performance was Rod Moore, Mike Sainer still, D- DJ Turner, and Jamon Green, right? Like those guys showed up. And something, I don't know what Jesse Minter does at halftime, but we we haven't given up anything in the second half this season. I mean, and, and I would go as far as to say that Jesse Minter should be a leading candidate for the Broyles Award this year. But, you know, Josh Gaddis got it last year as a top coordinator, but I, I feel like uh, Jesse Minter might be one of the best assistant coaches in the country. We, we lost Aiden Hutchinson. We lost Ojabo. We lost Dax Hill. We lost Josh Ross, all, all quality guys that are playing in the NFL right now, including two of them that are first rounders. I, I consider Ojabo a first rounder because we all know he was going top 10 before he tore his Achilles. And everybody would you know there were some some people in the media saying Michigan's not even a top 25 team without those guys right the Michigan Michigan's not even in the conversation and then Jesse Minter comes in and I I think we have a better defense this year than we had last year I would absolutely echo that sentiment I mean and just for uh for context, we held Reed uh, to 17 yards receiving this past weekend, which is phenomenal. I mean, obviously you had uh, you had uh, Colin, you had um, Coleman go off a little bit for 155 yards, but uh, on a couple couple plays there. But uh, I mean, just a phenomenal effort, and um, just uh, oh, crap. What's this? Hold on one second. It sounds like your dog is hyped about the defense too, man. We've got you got a hype man in the background just going crazy I'm on the D. You, man, it's just <laughs> it's just crazy. But yeah, I mean R.J. Moten, um, D.J. Turner, all of those guys back there, just a phenomenal effort to defend that Michigan State passing attack that we were so worried about before this weekend. 
And then, you know, kind of coming back to the line, uh, do you think that Mike Morris is first team all Big Ten? I mean, that that's kind of a dumb question. He's got to be, right? Like, th- this dude's first team all Big Ten, right? I think it's really going to come down to, in large part, what he does in these last few games. And it's really what's going to make first or second all Big Ten for him. You know, I mean, he's got to... He's got to come up with some more of those, uh, some more of those multi-sack games that we saw against like Iowa and stuff like that. But if he can shovel out uh, more games where he's coming up with two, three sacks, uh, just at least one or two more of those types of games, I think that we'll definitely see some high praise go to Mike Morris at the end of the season. Yeah, and he could sneak his way into that kind of second, third team All American conversation if he finishes really strong. He's had that. Uh, level of the season um and then you know I, I made a little note here that it was nice we saw Braden McGregor get a really clean sack right it wasn't one of those uh sacks where the quarterback's kind of getting away and he just tripped him up like no he he made a move and and uh took Peyton Thorne down man that was a nice sack did you see that I did and uh and kudos to him for that I had tweeted out at Braden McGregor at the uh, beginning of the season, how I needed to see more from him. He delivered an electric sack in the big house. The whole crowd went crazy. I mean, that was just great to see for him. And I know that uh, that there's more to come from Mr. McGregor going forward. And this defense kills me because after every game, I, I list uh, five offensive impact players and then five defensive impact players. It's just something I've been doing every week, and I rank the top five. Every week, I, I have so much trouble whittling it down to five because we we have such a talented defense that spreads out the playmaking ability because we haven't even talked about Mozzie Smith and Chris Jenkins, who uh, I think maybe had their best game of the season on the interior. Uh, we talked about uh, 37 total rushing yards for Michigan State, and that uh, is in large part due to uh, Mozzie and, and Jenkins. Yeah, I was actually reading uh, an article, I believe, by the Free Press that was uh, referencing uh, Jenkins and and Mozzie's run stop rate, which I guess is a stat that uh, that keeps track of how often a defensive line unit like stops a running back at the line of scrimmage or something to that effect. And uh, Chris Jenkins and Mozzie Smith have been in the upper echelon of that uh category uh this season so i mean just fantastic i know we don't hear jenkins name mentioned a lot but he's been one that's really come on strong in the last few weeks and uh and helped mozzie put a a squash right there at that defensive line with the run game yeah i mean we don't hear his name a lot because he's just doing his job right he's not getting exposed he's stuff in the middle He's opening things up for the other guys to make plays on the defense. And I think one of those guys that benefits the most from Chris Jenkins is Junior Colson. Junior Colson had another uh, huge tackle tackling game. He had 10 tackles in this game, which made him our leading tackler. And so, again, Junior Colson is one of those guys that continues to improve. And, um, you know, we we haven't talked about Makari Page, who had six tackles. Uh, You did briefly mention RJ Moten, but. Uh, the the play, I think the singular play that stuck out to me um, in open space as just an NFL-style play was our true freshman, 
Will Johnson. Uh, he got that TFL out on the out on the side that was just. I mean, it was one of those plays that could have gone for twenty yards, and he just uh, you know went back and aggressively made made a play behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I, you got to love everything that you're seeing out of Will Johnson this season. I mean, it's everything that you hope for out of a true freshman coming in, uh, making the type of plays that you want to make and see. And he's doing electrifying things here at Michigan. So I can't wait to see what he does the rest of the season and, and even next season. He's going to be a great player for this team. Yeah, it's two games in a row where he's uh, done something that was kind of jaw-dropping, like get up stand up and cheer kind of a play. And so if we if we keep seeing that from our young five-star talent, this defense is going to get better and better and better. Um, so, you know, that kind of wraps up our, our positional breakdown. But before we move on to the, the national stage, um, how does it feel to have Paul Bunyan back home? I mean, we, we brought Paul home. Let, let me just ask you, Matt, how – as a as a diehard lifelong Michigan fan, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling uh, just great beyond belief. I mean, we we've known what it feels like to to have the heartbreak of Ohio State for years to come, but Michigan State is just one of those games that we are rightfully supposed to win uh, year in and year out. So it has been painful listening to uh, to Spartan Nation. Uh, tout him over our heads for so long, but we got him back in Ann Arbor now, and I think he's going to be there to stay for uh, the foreseeable future. I I agree. I don't see us giving him back anytime soon, and and I agree with what you referenced, which is, you know, Ohio State has beaten us a lot because they were a better team and it's just like oh shit you know we lost again they were way better than us like what do we need to do to get better michigan state we've lost some games where we were just clearly the better team and then they come they come out and beat us and and that's just uh heartbreaking and and i think when they took that seven to three lead early in this game uh, all of us were collectively just kind of like ah you know is it like is this one of those situations again and Thankfully, uh, you know, it wasn't. We dominated the game rightfully so. So Paul Bunyan is back home, and uh, he's here to stay. You know, moving on to the other rival that we mentioned, Ohio State, um, they once again showed some vulnerabilities. You know, that the scoreboard uh, or the score of that game doesn't necessarily tell the story. Uh, Penn State was up for a large portion of that game. I know you and I were both in Ann Arbor getting ready for the Michigan-Michigan State game, but did you actually see any of the Ohio State-Penn State game? Uh, I observed it for uh, a little while, and from what I could tell, it was a very close game. I know that Ohio State pulled it out in the end and uh, and capped off, I think, a 13-point win over Penn State. And uh, I, I made some comments, you know, John, at some Ohio State fans about it, but you really just... These are two teams that play, and uh, talking about Michigan and Ohio State, these are two teams that play entirely different styles of football. So to compare one's win over this team versus this win over another team, it's kind of crazy. Again, it's fun, funny to have those conversations when you're not getting like overly serious about it. But um, 
again, we'll see what happens November 29th, but very interesting to see uh, those weaknesses on uh, on Showcase and Happy Valley. Well, the thing about that game, it, well, first off, let me mention all my transitive property people out there that were like, oh, Michigan versus Iowa had this score, and then Michigan, or and then Ohio State versus Iowa had this score. That means Ohio State's better than Michigan. It's like, what? Well, where are those people this week? Because Michigan beat Penn State 41 to 17. Ohio State uh, beat Penn State 44 to 31. So where are those people now? Why are they not saying Michigan's better than Ohio State? It's like, it's just flawed logic. They, we got to stop using that. Matchups on a week by week basis just don't work that way. And you can't really use another game as a litmus test for how a game is going to turn out. Now, with that being said, we did learn some things about Ohio State in this game. Um, Penn State did something very similar to what Iowa did the previous week. Penn State gave up the ball in their own territory multiple times in the first half. That's how Ohio State got that early lead. Now, with that being said, a great team will put the pedal to the floor not look back and blow out a team that gives out give, gives up the ball in their own territory. And I actually believe that Michigan um, would do that in most cases. If, if, if a team's giving up the ball in their own territory, we're going to run away with the game because we, we control the game so in a way to where it allows us to do that. And, and you even saw when Michigan State had trouble with the snap. I love saying that. When Michigan State had, had trouble with the snap this week, that, that was one of those possessions where Michigan actually got into the end zone. Um, and so when we look at Ohio State, uh, they, they let Penn State right back into the game, and, and they were actually trailing in the second half. So um, I, I think that we've seen enough vulnerability from, from Ohio State to where it's not going to happen, but it, I think that the, the college football playoff committee needs to seriously consider uh, if Michigan should be number two or number three, as opposed to number four, I think we we all kind of know Michigan's going to come. You know, the, the rankings come out tonight, Tuesday night, so most of the people listening to this will already know how it panned out. Michigan will probably be number four, but they need to seriously consider uh, some of the vulnerabilities of of Georgia and Ohio State so far this season. And you know, Michigan's efficiencies on offense and, and defense probably do make us one of the best top two or three teams in the country. I think just because of this team's ability to, uh, to control and both to both control and win the football game, you know, it's, it's a winning football team with a winning formula. And you see that every week that they play, uh, they beat them usually by halftime or the third quarter. And then we proceed to blow them out with whatever time is remaining after we've effectively beat them which is characteristics that you see from all of those number one, number two, number three teams in the country. And I mean, given the the resume and the strength of schedule and the margins of victory, I mean, I just think that you have to kind of give the argument for Michigan a, at a little bit higher of a spot, a little more steam. Maybe uh, some people might scoff at that, or maybe there's even some Michigan fans that are saying like, oh, they've got to prove it again first. But, you know, I've, I've seen as far as uh, as what I've seen over the last year and what should be considered up to this point, I feel that I've seen enough to at least 
garner enough respect for Michigan to have a higher spot this time. <laughs> I mean, I'm really surprised that we're not seeing any number one votes in the AP poll for Michigan. You know, Tennessee, Georgia, and Ohio State all get uh, number one votes on a weekly basis. But the, the reason why I'm not saying I would necessarily put Michigan number one right now, but I'm just surprised that nobody is because. You know, in previous years, it would be a different story. That we we've had the Alabamas and the Clemsons that were just so dominant, or Georgia last year. But if you look at this season, you know Georgia gave up twenty two points to Kent State, right? Alabama is the most penalized team in the country. Clemson was lucky to escape Syracuse. Ohio State uh, fought it out with a, a not very good Notre Dame team and was down in the second half against Penn State. And then Tennessee, I mean, their offense is spectacular, but you know their defense has, has looked vulnerable at times. And so you, you could easily look at this Michigan team and the way that they control games and say, you know what, that's the number one team in the country. I, you know, I, I think that's, that an argument could be made there for Michigan right now. Um, you know, uh, otherwise in the, in the Big Ten, you know, Iowa got a, a, a win where they scored 33 points. That uh, is to be celebrated. I don't know. Maybe they're throwing a parade right now in Iowa. And, and then the game that really stuck out to me, just because we, we have both of these opponents on our schedule from here on out, is Illinois 26, Nebraska 9. Uh, the Illini are looking strong. They are a one-loss team, and we see them in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think um, they're starting to turn some heads here and there. Do I think that uh, they'll be able to handle Michigan? No, I still don't. I think that it'll be another victory where maybe it'll go two, three quarters uh, of them hanging in there. But I think that it's still an inexperienced team that's not super familiar with success and doesn't have a ton of uh, of credible opponents on its resume to kind of hang their hat on and say, well, like, wow, these guys are going to give Michigan like a real test. And they probably will, but I'm just saying, I don't think that it'll, it's going to be like a, a one touchdown game or anything. I think they'll win by uh, maybe like two scores, 20 points, something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just love that Illinois is climbing the rankings because it gives us two really quality opponents at the end of the year. I tend to agree that I don't think, uh, you know, Illinois lost to Indiana early in the season. They, they've won some, some games and they've looked really impressive. And, and you just can't argue with the fact that Brett Bielema knows how to win in the Big Ten West, right? It's almost like we're just watching Wisconsin from 10 years ago with, with the formula that he's using to win. Um, but with that being said, it's, it's, he still has the talent of an Illini team. Uh, when, he, when he comes up against Michigan, it's likely going to be too much to handle. And, but it's, go, it's going to look like a really strong quality win because they'll potentially be in the top 12 if they keep winning by the time we play them. Um, so heading into the Ohio State game, that's nice. Uh, but it does have a little bit of a trap game kind of written all over it, right? We, we don't want to look ahead. It's, that's going to be a tough matchup. Um, 
But yeah, you know, there's not not really much else to say in the Big Ten. Like we're we're just kind of counting down the days to Michigan Ohio State. That's going to be the big one. The important thing is we we have to stay focused on a week by week basis and and make sure we win the next game um, around the country. Not a lot of action this week that stuck out to me. I I put all my money on uh, Oklahoma State to beat Kansas State, and so of course Kansas State beat them like a hundred to nothing. Um, so I'll, you know, I, I'm the reason that that happened clearly, but you know, other than that, I think everybody's just kind of waiting on this top five or six teams to, to play out. You've got the, the undefeated teams in Alabama and that's about it. Maybe, maybe I was looking at Oregon's schedule from here on out. They've got some, some games at home that, that they could win. So they might be able to sneak in, but really it's the undefeated teams in Alabama at this point. Yeah, I think it's really just about these uh, these top four um, staying undefeated. I mean, and then of course you got uh, got the Horned Frogs in there too. Um, but I mean, you, it's just about who who's going to stay undefeated through these last few games. And I think you kind of hit the nail right on the head. It's really just a waiting period as we don't have a ton of uh, of games left in this, at least in the next couple weeks that are heavily going to dictate what happens with, uh, with the polls and things like that. You know, and, and we're all, you know, as Michigan fans kind of chomping at the bit here uh, for next week, because Tennessee and Georgia play each other. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, and we've seen some SEC bias in the past where a game like this has happened and both teams stay ahead of us. I, I don't think we're going to see that because Michigan is, you know, TCU might, that might happen to TCU. I don't think it's going to happen to Michigan. I think whoever loses that game next week, Michigan will go ahead of, um, as long as we don't look terrible against Rutgers, which I don't think we're going to. Um, so we, we could easily be in the top three after, after next week. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Do you, do you have any ideas on Tennessee, Georgia? Do you think one team's going to, you know, dominate the other, or do you think it'll be a, a good matchup? Um, I don't think I don't see a real domination. I do think Tennessee is going to uh, pull out the win, though. I think Georgia's lost some talent, and uh, and Tennessee they're they're on fire. They're fired up a little bit. I think they're going to give them some problems, and they might end up stealing one. I completely agree. I think Josh Heupel is uh, a good coach. I think we're seeing, um, you know, there's like parallels to sometimes you just have a good team that has a really good year and they've got the right guys or the right guy singular. I I think back to like Auburn with Cam Newton where they were like a six loss team and then Cam Newton came around. They had that that kind of special season. It feels like Tennessee is having one of those uh, special seasons. They've got a coach that knows how to win. Uh, they've got the right players on their team. I think Tennessee wins as well. I think they're going to beat Georgia um, maybe by about two scores. I think they're going to handle them. Um, and then Michigan, I think, will move ahead of Georgia at, at that point. Uh, as far as college football playoff goes, I don't know how much thought you've, you've given it, but just off the cuff, let's freestyle right now. What, what four teams do you think ultimately end up in the college football playoff? Um. See, that's a tough one because then you got the Michigan-Ohio State game at the end and you're never sure how that's going to play out with how they determine their playoff rankings. But I mean, I'd have to say I it's going to be two SEC teams and, and probably Michigan-Ohio State. I have to 
I, or either that or they they oust Michigan or o- Ohio State in favor of the Horned Frogs. But I think two SEC players still get in. And then I think, um, I, I think uh, honestly, a bit the winner of Michigan-Ohio State and then maybe TCU. Yeah, TCU, if they could, if they can win out, I mean, that it'll be tough. I, I actually think TCU is going to find a way to lose in the Big 12 championship game. I think the Big 12 will probably just eat themselves up. Uh, I've got Tennessee. And then I think we're going to see Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, and here's why. Everybody, the media loves Ohio State. They love offense. They love a passing game. They, they just can't get enough of that shit. Michigan's going to go into Columbus and find a way to win that game. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I try to be unbiased, but th- there's, a, there's a limit to everything. I will always pick Michigan to beat Ohio State. I will never see it the other way around. That's just who I am. I kind of like your, so your I, reasoning I, where you're going with it. Continue. And so a one-loss Ohio State team to the media is still going to be really sexy. They see these receivers. They see this passing game. They see everything they've done. So they're going to give Ohio State the nod and give them the three or the four spot. Michigan would actually probably be the one seed in this scenario, depending on Tennessee. So Tennessee, Michigan would be one, two. Ohio State gets in. And then it's a matter of, is Bama floating around there? Is Georgia's only loss to Tennessee at that point or or vice versa? Um you know, I don't think that the Pac-12 is necessarily out of this thing. Um, Oregon is the most likely team that could sneak in there. But even though it was week one, uh, Oregon lost to Georgia. It was like 49 to three or 49 to nothing or something. You're like, can you really put a team in the college football playoff? They got blown out. And so my, my answer there is probably not. And so then you really just have to look at U- UCLA. USC, Utah, can any can they sneak in? Um, yeah, it, it's tough. So I I'm gonna say I, I agree with you. I'm 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 going to say not Bama because of the penalties. I think this is the year Bama slips up again and they lose. Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan, Ohio State in some order, and and then everybody's gonna be screaming for the college football playoff expansion at that point because we're only gonna have two conferences represented in the playoffs. So then I think that'll help us push through the 12 team playoff as early as, as next year. Yeah, I agree. I think Bama will probably find a way to sneak in just because of the fact that Tennessee and Georgia both play each other. I think Tennessee will win. Maybe, maybe that disqualifies Georgia. I just, I don't know. And then for me, I agree with what you're saying with uh, with Ohio State. I believe if Ohio State loses to Michigan, they still find a way until the play- into the playoff. If Michigan loses to Ohio State, I don't believe that they let them in the playoff, just solely for the Ohio State national preference, uh, whether that's unfair or not, whatever. I just think that that's how it'll go. I believe that uh, a... Ohio State that fails to beat Michigan has a better chance of still making it into the playoff than a Michigan that fails to beat Ohio State. Well, yeah, I mean, it would have to it would have to be a one possession loss. Um and then they would have to take into the into consideration some that, JT that was Luke, short type shenanigans. 
Well, I don't know if it has to be that. Like, I don't think it has to be controversial, but it has to be um, Michigan will have to put some points up. Let's just put it that way, right? Like, if it's a low-scoring game, the media just doesn't like that, right? If it's 20 to 13 or something, then uh, I don't think they would let Michigan in. If it's, if it's like 45 to 38, I think at that point, Michigan gets in because, I mean, it's, it, I, I would like to think that the college football playoff committee takes into consideration like true football winning efficiencies. But at the end of the day, they're, they're just fans watching the game like anybody else. And if they see like long, long scores that are exciting, they're like, ooh, that team's really good, right? Like they're just like anybody else. And so if Michigan can put points on the board, keep it close, and, but then they come up short in that game, I think, I think we, could definitely see them sneak in. But of course, a lot of that just depends on, you know, we haven't talked about Clemson, right? Like Clemson would have to drop a game. There, there would have to be a few, like TCU would have to drop a game. Uh, the the Pac-12 teams would have to look weak, you know, at, the, at that point for Michigan uh, to get in. So, uh, but Clemson's losing to Notre Dame this Saturday. So we're not going to have to worry about that. <laughs> no, we won't. Notre Dame with a surprisingly... <laughs> Excellent performance this last weekend. Yeah, but you know, before we, uh, before we, you know, wrap this thing up and and look ahead to Rutgers, I I do want to point out uh, Rod Moore is kind of my my player of the week. If I if I'm going to spotlight anybody, he made the big interception and rocked the turnover buffs. And then uh, I saw PFF gave him the highest grade of any safety in the nation this week with a 90.8 um, highest graded safety in the nation. So it, it's been fun to watch his evolution over the last two years. And now he is a, a prominent player in that Michigan secondary. Um, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned him because I've just, he's been my favorite player the last few weeks. I mean, he's the only one that's reliably reeling in interceptions. I mean, he's great in coverage uh, he just does it all. So, I mean, Rod Moore, thank you for being a Michigan Wolverine. You're doing fantastic. And speaking of the Michigan Wolverines, again, we've got Rutgers next week. Um, you know, I've never been a huge fan of Greg Schiano. I don't know why. Um, I don't hate the guy or anything. He's not up there with, like, my most hated coaches or anything. But I, I just don't really like the guy. When We were looking at hiring him several years back. I'm, I'm glad that that fell through um you know michigan and rutgers i haven't seen rutgers play a ton of football I, they they haven't really been on my radar a lot this season but but i have i have watched them a little bit uh they've got a couple really talented guys on that team um but i and they're pretty well coached shiano's a good coach but i just don't think they have the talent um i think michigan's favored in the mid 20s uh do you have a score prediction for this Michigan Rutgers game? I no score prediction, but I think Michigan wins handily by at least three or four touchdowns. I don't think we'll see a repeat of uh, of the last Rutgers game, and even though it's at their home field, I still think that this Michigan team is just entirely too dominant uh, at literally every level, and that's what allows them to be so successful is their ability to just tough out their opponents, no matter who they're playing. So I think that it'll be more of the same this week. I think that we'll even see a little bit earlier of a, of a uh, victory on the scoreboard than in other weeks. 
Yeah, I think this is the game that we get in the end zone early and often. I'm going to say we score 42 points, even, all touchdowns. Mo- Moody only goes out there for extra points this week. It's going to be the complete opposite of last week. Um, and then maybe 13 points for Rutgers. So, I'm, I, you know, 42 to 13. So Michigan uh, covers the spread by a little bit and, and moves to 9-0. and um, You know, but that's no disrespect to Rutgers. I, I, you know, I just think that we're a better team and we're, we're going to go out there and win the game. So, um, yeah, man, that, that is our show for the, the week. Thank you for tuning in to episode five of the Big House Bleachers podcast. If you're looking uh, to get more involved with what we got going on, I go by Wolverine Chronicle on Twitter. My handle is at Wolverine Cron, that's C-H-R-O-N. Um, and then, of course, you can go to WolverineChronicle.com. Matt, where can people find you at? They can find me at my handle at Maze Crusader or my website, MazeCrusader.com. If you're looking to get involved with what we're doing here on the show or, or possibly sponsorships of any kind, reach out and let us know. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Uh, probably record Sunday morning. So you guys will hear the episode by Sunday or Monday. Thank you. And as always, go blue. Go blue.